So Merry Christmas. Yeah. I have been waiting for this day. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Right? Right? <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like you are not so sure about all of that. Um, I actually did a Google search on this, what do people love most about Christmas? And there's just list after list. Usually there are top 10 lists, things that people love most about Christmas and all the things are on there that you would expect to be on there. The Christmas music, the, the snow, we, like just, you know, how snowy it was when you came in today. <laughs> the, uh, the Christmas trees, the presents, the traditional foods that you don't get any other time of year, all the lights and all of that kind of stuff. But no matter which list it was, every single list had one thing in common, what do you think it was? Presents, Presents? no. Presents. Family, family. Every one of those lists had the word family, gathering together with family. After all, getting together with family members is the best, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of you are sitting next to family members and you're like, uh, uh. <laughs> The truth is that uh, at Christmas, some people will not be getting together with family and they will wish they were. And there will some people will be getting together with family and they will wish they weren't. <laughs> That's just kind of the way it goes, right? Well, which one are you? Don't, no, never mind. Don't answer that. Um, some of us are probably a little bit of both, I would imagine. There are some sketchy characters in my family. You've seen Garrett already, right? <laughs> There's some sketchy people as you go through the family tree. There are, there are convicts and drug addicts and drug dealers and drug addicts who became drug dealers only to become convicts. I got all of that in my family. Uh, not every branch of the family tree is quite as beautiful as every other branch of the family tree. Um, have you ever done one of those ancestry searches? find out what's in your background. I hate talking to people who have done that because everybody is like, well, you know, my family came over on the Mayflower. And I'm like, really? And other people are like, and, and you know, Beethoven is my great, 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 great uncle. And that's all really impressive. So I did the research myself, found out about my family, and I got every one of them beat. I can trace my lineage all the way back to Noah. Anybody else beat that? Yeah, that's impressive, right? If you don't, if you don't think that's funny, go read your Bible. Um, <laughs> the fact is that there are some people in our family trees and in our backgrounds and our extended families, maybe even in our households, that we're super proud of, and then there are some people that are maybe we could do without. And... If you're visiting with us today, and I know some of you are, you're here for Christmas or you're here because uh, uh, you came with family, um, what you may not know is for the last three months or so, we have been doing this overview of the life of King, J of King David from First and Second Samuel in your Old Testament. Um, he is one of the most famous people in all of history. Uh, people in every generation know something about King David. 
Um, and he lived 3,000 years ago, and his fame is as great today as it ever has been. We all know he killed a giant and saved his nation in the process. We know that he, re- he reunited Israel and Judah into one nation after they had been split. He established Jerusalem, which became the most significant religious city in the world and is today known as the city of David because of that. Uh, he's, he's mentioned in the Bible more times than anyone else with the exception of God himself. But I know some of you are thinking, um, it's Christmas, right? We're not gonna keep talking about some 3,000 year old king, are we? Um, why is he talking about this Old Testament king? Shouldn't he be talking about shepherds and angels and wise men, oh yeah, and that baby in the manger. Well, don't worry, we're gonna get to him. But it's interesting that both Matthew in his gospel and Luke in his gospel make a point very early on to actually give us the family tree of Jesus. Before they get into the whole story of everything that happened and all the things that we read about, they tell us the family tree. They give us the background so that we know a little bit about where this Jesus comes from. Luke traces Jesus' ancestry all the way back to Adam and ultimately God. Um, Matthew traces it as far back as Abraham. And today we're gonna take a glance just briefly at, Ab- at, uh, at uh, Matthew's account, which is in the book of Matthew. So if you brought a Bible, you're gonna wanna open to the New Testament. It's the very first page of your New Testament. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse one. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, look on with somebody who's near you. And if you need a Bible, come see me afterwards and I will send you home with one for sure. Um, but we're gonna be in Matthew chapter one and I wanna start by explaining what you're gonna find there because um, in, in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, he divides the family tree into three sections. The first section is from Abraham to David, that's 14 generations, and then he goes from David to the Babylonian exile, that's another 14 generations, and then he goes from the exile all the way to Jesus. Anybody wanna guess how many generations that is? 14, you're brilliant, well done. Um, So there's 14 generations in each group and we're gonna pick that up beginning in Matthew chapter one, verse one. It says this, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all the way back in Genesis chapter three, God made a promise that one day he was going to bring one who would crush the head of the serpent. This is right after the fall of man. And that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three. But then God makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where he says that he is gonna bring someone from the line of Abraham and Sarah who would be a blessing not only to the Jews, but to every nation on earth. And then finally in 2 Samuel 7, and we saw this recently, God made a promise to David. And and that promise was that from David's line would come one who would uh, be raised up to once again sit on the throne in Jerusalem and he would rule forever and ever and ever and the line of David would not be broken because of this. And guess what? God keeps his promises. 
If you don't get anything else out of today's message, that might be something to take home with you. God keeps his promises, guys. That is why there's a tree in your living room today because God keeps his promises. That is why there are lights hanging from your roof. That is why we get to watch Christmas movies and sing Christmas carols and, and put little elves on shelves. It's because God keeps his promises. God kept his promise and that's why Jesus was born. So let's go back to Matthew 1 where Jesus is called the son of Abraham. He's called the son of Abraham. That's the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And he's also called the son of David to establish his kingship, that he is in the royal line, that he has a right to the throne as it's passed down through generations. And so Jesus is a rightful king. Now, if you're a person who reads your Bible, my guess is that when you come to these genealogies, you don't pay much attention. That you come to these genealogies and you go, I can't pronounce these names anyway, and you do the Evelyn Wood reading and you get to the bottom and you skip that page and move on. But this genealogy is really, really important because it turns out that Jesus has something very important in common with all of us. And that is that there are some sketchy characters in his family line too. So it begins with Abraham. He talks about Abraham. Now, you've probably heard of Abraham. If you've never been to church in your life, you've probably heard of Abraham. The, the three great monotheistic religions of the world trace their lineage back to Abraham, right? And so you've heard of Abraham. He's a very big deal. But Abraham was also a complete mess. He messed up again and again and again, and we talked about this before, but um, when, when he had this incredibly beautiful wife, and his wife was so beautiful that whenever he went to a new place, he was afraid they would kill him to take his wife, so he would always lie and say, she's my sister, and then sure enough, somebody would come and take her, and he'd be like, okay, bye, sis, and off she would go. And God had to keep fixing that problem. He's the worst husband in the history of the world. And then when they can't have children and they get to be really, really old and God has made this promise that they're gonna have a child and through that child is gonna come this king, they finally give up hope and his, his wife in her, in her depression and sadness because she hasn't been able to give him a child, she comes to him and says, listen, I got this young uh, servant girl. Why don't you just sleep with her and you can have a child through her and he goes well that sounds like a plan that's how smart this guy is that's how brilliant he is and then when that child comes he sends him away so he's a bad husband he's a bad father he messes up again and again and again and here he is right at the beginning of the story of Jesus and then he has a uh, um, a son Isaac who has a son Jacob and Jacob his name is changed to Israel Jacob is the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel, but his name Jacob means deceiver. And all throughout his story, you see him lying, cheating, and swindling again and again and again and again. One of his children is a guy by the name of Judah. And, and we know Jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So Judah is his ancestor, and so he's a son of Jacob. This guy, Judah, is such a good guy that um, he, he has a son named Perez who was the son from Judah sleeping with his daughter-in-law. 
And you go, oh, what a dirtbag, sleeping with his daughter-in-law. Oh, no, don't judge him. He thought she was a prostitute, so that makes it okay. <laughs> and, and so that's in the line. Uh, and, and she not only is um, a woman in a genealogy, which is unheard of in these days. Genealogies would only record the names of the men. She's listed a woman in this genealogy. She's not even a Jew. She's a Canaanite. So she's a Canaanite who is uh, a prostitute who has this, this child, actually twins, out of wedlock as a result of sleeping with her father-in-law, and she's listed in Jesus' genealogy. Verse 5 mentions another woman who's listed in his genealogy. Her name is Rahab, and she's known as Rahab the harlot. Yeah, She's a prostitute also. And not only is she a prostitute, but she too is a Canaanite. But she turns out to be a very important part of God's uh, redemptive story with Israel. And then there's another woman, Ruth. Ruth is also um, not a Jew. She is a Moabitess. And the Moabites are despised by the Jews. And the reason they're despised by the Jews is because if you go back in Genesis, you will see that... um, that Abraham's nephew Lot ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and when Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, he flees and basically has just his daughters with him, and he ends up having sexual relations with his daughters, and out of those daughters comes the Moabite race. So the Jews, are they despise the Moabites, and yet Ruth is a Moabite, and she happens to be the grandmother of David. And that's 14 generations in the book from Abraham to David. And finally, along comes David. We've been learning about him for three months. And one of the things um, is sure is that even though David did some great things, and we all know about the great things, he was also a great sinner. We've been talking about this for the last several weeks. He raped a woman by the name of Bathsheba, who was the wife of one of his close friends. And then he murdered her husband to cover it up. And finally, he marries her to help keep up the charade. And although that baby died in infancy, since he married her, he ends up having another child by her, and that child's name is Solomon. And Solomon becomes the great wise king Solomon who builds the temple. He, Solomon, is the result of David stealing his friend's wife, murdering his friend's wife, and then having a child, uh, murdering his friend, and then having a child by his widow. Now, Solomon is in many ways a great king, and he was the wisest man who ever lived, but he too kind of crashed and burned at the end. He had a major weakness where women were concerned. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and the scripture tells us that as he became an old man, those women who God told him not to marry, and he married them anyway, put drove his heart away from God toward idols. And so Solomon, the great King Solomon, the builder of the temple, the one who wrote the Proverbs, the one who is the son of David, Solomon actually becomes a worshiper of idols toward the end of his life. And after Solomon, you get this guy Rehoboam, who leads all of Israel away from God. And then there's a list of other kings in the line of David who were mostly evil kings, 
Most of them worshiped idols. Guys like Ahaz in verse nine, he was so wicked that he actually offered his own children as burnt offerings to his idols. And then Manasseh, who might be the most evil king of all, he built altars to these false gods in the temple that Solomon had built. And and he also practiced sorcery and necromancy, and he too sacrificed his own son as a burnt offering in the temple to his false gods and led Israel to do the same kinds of things. The list of evil people in this genealogy just goes on and on and on. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Isn't this an uplifting message you're getting? Guys, these are the people in Jesus' family tree. Finally, verses 12 through 15 list a bunch of people, most of whom you have never heard of, and there's a reason you've never heard of them. You've never heard of them because they don't appear anywhere else in Scripture except here. They're just listed as part of the genealogy. This is this list of kings and people who came after the return uh, from exile from Babylon, and their names are names you do not know. We know nothing about these people until we get to Joseph, the husband of Mary, who's served as the earthly father of Jesus. Now, it's important to note when we're looking at these genealogies, Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Hopefully you're here in a Christmas service, you've heard that before. Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, but he was the legal father of Jesus. And that matters because legally speaking, the royal line passes down not through mothers, but through fathers. And it doesn't matter who the biological father is, it matters who the legal father is. And so we're establishing the fact that through Joseph, Jesus has a right to rule on the throne. But the interesting thing is, you say, well, wait a second. He's not even his real father. So how does he fulfill that prophecy? Because not only does Joseph come through the line of David and Abraham, but so does Mary. And so when you look at the two genealogies, Matthew and Luke, you see both of those mashed together and you realize that they both come from that same line. So Joseph is the legal fulfillment of the prophecies, therefore Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies, both legally and by blood. So, why does Matthew begin the story of Jesus by reminding us about all these messed up, sinful, broken people? I suppose there's like a ton of good answers to this question, probably most of which we don't know. But I'll give you two or three that cross my mind. Number one, it shows us that nothing and nobody can keep God from keeping his promises. That is a very important thing for us to hold on to this Christmas. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Um, I do know a little bit about what's going on in the world right now, and a lot of it is concerning. Can I get an amen? Amen. And and you may be going through some personal stuff in your life right now that is really, really difficult, but let me just remind you on this Christmas holiday that our God keeps his promises. And we have to hold on to that. If Christmas tells us anything, it's that our God is an awesome God. 
God does not fail to do what he says he will do. There is nothing that can stand in his way. There is nobody that can thwart him, that can stop him from exercising his will and and carrying out his purposes and showing his love for us in whatever way he chooses to do it. So that's one reason, I think, that we get this list of sketchy characters that come in Jesus' line. Another is, it shows us that God can fix anything. God can fix anything. Guys, it is so fascinating to go back and read these historical books of the Old Testament or read about these kings and read about these people that are in the line of Jesus and to see how badly they mess things up. And, and listen, all kidding aside, you, in our society in America today, we're so politically polarized, right? There, there's people that are on the far left and people are on the far right. I am convinced that the vast majority of us are in between those, right? But the only voices we ever hear are on the far left or the far right. And so it's as though we're just, there's, we're coming apart at the seams and there is no hope and, and, and it's so messed up. And you look and go, man, how are we going to, who are we going to vote? for? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to change the economy? How are we going to fix the laws? How are we going to bring justice back to our justice system and all that kind of stuff? Let me just remind you of something. Christmas tells us that no matter how badly we mess things up, God can fix anything. And he'll do it by keeping his promises. He uses broken, messed up, sinful people to do great things. He delights in bringing beauty from ashes. That's what he does. The third thing is that Matthew gives us this genealogy. It shows us why Jesus had to come. It shows us why Jesus had to come. Now, I'm going to say something that is going to insult you. You're a broken sinner, too. All of us are. We've been talking about this a lot lately. We've been looking at the life of David and just going, man, when you look at the life of David and the way he messes up, despite all of the privileges God gave him, despite all the ways God came alongside of him and lifted him up, David continues to find ways to mess everything up. And I realize that when I hold up the story of David and read it, it's like looking in a mirror because I'm like that too. And that tells us why Jesus had to come. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, if you've still got your Bible open, look at verse 21. It says this, this is a prophecy given to Joseph by the angel about Mary's pregnancy, which is quite unexpected. And here it is. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus, which, which in Hebrew means Savior. He's, he's born to be the one who saves because he is the only way for God to save sinful people from the consequences of our sin. When I talk to people about Christ, I often hear things like, you know what, um, it's just too late for me. I, I, I have, I've lived such a, a bad life. I, I, I can't come to God. I, I'm too broken and sinful to come to God. It's sad to hear that from somebody. So you know what I say? You're absolutely right. 
You are too broken and sinful to come to God. That is why we have Christmas, because God came to us. It is not about us finding a way to get back into God's good graces. It is not about me being just religious enough that God says, well, I gotta let him in. It's not about me doing good works. It's not about me being better than the guy next to me. It's not about all of those things that I wanna make it about. I cannot get to God no matter how hard I try, no matter how far I run, no matter how hard I work. My works are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. He says, you cannot come to me, so I will come to you. You see, Jesus is not just a human being who happens to descend from Abraham and David. He is also the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God himself, the creator of the universe, who left the throne of heaven to come to that little manger so he could go to that cross, so he could raise again, so we can have Life, God came to us because we can't get to God. That's why. There's no religion that'll bring you to God. This Christmas, if you know nothing else, know this. God knows you're a broken, sinful mess. That's why he sent his perfect son as a savior. Descendant from Adam. Adam the original sinner, the one who messed it up from the beginning, descendant from Abraham, who failed again and again and again and again, and descendant from David, the murderer, the rapist, the adulterer, who became known as the man after God's own heart. If David, with all of his sin, could actually be redeemed by God and brought to a place of faith where he can be known as a man after God's own heart, then there is hope, my friends, for you and me. That's the connection that David has to Jesus. Christmas means that God has not given up on us. It means he loves us with an unbreakable, unspeakable, unimaginable love. It means that he is willing to take your life no matter how broken it may be, no matter how far you may have wandered, no matter how deeply you have fallen into the pit. It means that he can take your life no matter how messed up it may be and turn it into something beautiful. So, so as you sing carols, this year, and as you drink eggnog and as you open gifts, please don't ignore the greatest gift of all. His name is Jesus. And he really is the reason for the season. May your Christmas be merry and bright. May it be filled with light and filled with joy. Despite the darkness around you, light pierces the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. May your Christmas reflect that light. May your life reflect that light forevermore. The God of the universe loves you 
no matter how far you've gone, that's what Christmas is all about. Let's stand and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, on this wonderful Christmas Eve day, we we lift up our hearts to you. We want so much, God, to, to let our lives be a gift to you, not just that we would go through the motions of holiday traditions, but that we would know the one about whom we celebrate. We pray, God, that you would truly bring light into our lives. I pray for anyone who may be hearing this today who knows that um, they're far from you. I pray that they would be inspired today to know that you have made up the distance and that they would just turn and open their hearts and their arms and receive you. I pray, Father, for any of us who, who know you but are struggling right now because of darkness around us. I pray, God, that you would infuse our lives with light, and I pray that that light would not just shine upon us, but that it would shine through us so that the world might see that you truly are God and give you the glory you deserve. On this Christmas Eve, we lift up your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you that when we could not come to you, you came to us. We give you all praise and glory, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.